Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25 and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. good boys and girls two-footed podcast today is tuesday it is the 30th of january we are almost out of this gray depressing month but i have to say the sun is shining today it's actually quite a nice day and not only that not only that it's eight degrees out now it's due to drop overnight obviously too well not actually too bad to about three degrees so not too bad but the weather is improving there's no ice there's no slop 
hasn't been bad. Hasn't been bad. But get January behind you. Get through February. Nice short month. Little longer this year, obviously, because it's a leap year. But once you're into March, it's just, it's happy days. Happy days, unless you get a bad summer like, like we did last year. But normally, it's a decent summer. And of course, by the time you get to March, you're getting really close to the business end of the football season. You're getting to the point where the title races really begin with 10 games left. You're getting to the final stages of your domestic cups, of your European competitions. The games are coming twice a week, thick and fast. Everyone is playing for everything. It's just a great time. It really is. Last night in the FA Cup, we had one game of football played and Blackburn Rovers beat Wrexham 4-1. Andy Cannon put Wrexham 1-0 up and it seemed like the upset was on, but Sammy Smodix, who's having an unbelievable season, equalised on 32 minutes. Sam Gallagher made a 2-1 to Blackburn on 34. Smodix made a 3-1 just before half time. And Sandre Tronstadt made it 4-1 on 59 minutes. Blackburn deservedly true to the next round of the competition where they will take on Newcastle. And they've gotten a home draw in that one. So Rovers will be looking for the upset. And to be honest, I was hoping that Wrexham would win because, as I've said before, I do have that years, years, years old soft spot for Wrexham, but I do also have a soft spot for Blackburn Rovers, and I've done a nostalgia pod on Blackburn in the past. They're one of the most important teams in 1990s English football. And to be fair, Blackburn versus Newcastle is the type of game that will give me a real nostalgic vibe. Because Newcastle tried very hard to copy the Blackburn method and spend their way to a title with a former Liverpool legend in charge, obviously Kenny Dalglish at Blackburn, Kevin Keegan at Newcastle. They brought in Alan Shearer from Blackburn, where he had led them to a title in the hopes that he could do similar for them after they'd come close with that Les Ferdinand-led team. It didn't work out for the turn, but still. When I think of the 90s, the the pre Arsenal United dominated end of the 90s. That mid-90s period, the two teams that were pushing United year after year were Blackburn and then Newcastle. So looking forward to that one. Obviously, I get my full-blown nostalgic Coventry City versus Sheffield Wednesday nostalgic trip um, in the replay on the 6th. And then I get that game in the fifth round. And maybe we get we get a couple more nostalgic games along the way in this FA Cup. Um, Coventry, also the, the, uh, the subject of a nostalgic pod uh, months and months ago. So that was last night. Um, today, Blackburn have gotten some, well, Blackburn fans have gotten some bad news. Adam Wharton, who's an outstanding young midfielder, I uh, didn't play last night, I assume because he's the subject of transfer negotiations. It looks like he's heading to Crystal Palace, uh, a deal for 22 million inclusive of add-ons. 
Adam Wharton will fit in well at Palace. He is a controlling midfielder, very, very good in the ball, quite an unusual gait. Uh, seems to still be growing into his frame. Really, really talented ball player. Once Decoure is back from his torn Achilles, I really like that as a midfield pairing for them. Eze on the right. Uh, Eze is the 10. Olise on the right. If Franca works out playing from the left, that midfield five could be very, very formidable if they can keep them together. Now, that's obviously the big question, but we know they've got good centre-backs. We know they've got a good left-back. We know they've got a good goalkeeper. If they can add a good right-back, and the one I wanted them to sign, which was Sasha Bowie, he's now, he's now gone to Bayern Munich, so... Maybe they could never have afforded him. I think it's 25 million Byron have paid. I thought he would have gone for a bit less, but they need to find a good right back and they need to find someone that can reliably put the ball in the back of the net. I still like Odson Edward, but it hasn't worked brilliantly for him there. He's a good squad player for them to have. But if they sell Mateta and can repurpose that money into a goal scorer, they'd be in pretty good shape. Gift Urban was another name I think I threw out at one point for Palace. He's gone to Leon. Just as a pure goal scorer, I think he could have fit well with his pace and his movement and his finishing ability. But they're adding Adam Wharton. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of this deal. He is 19, turns 20 actually a week today. Uh, He will turn 20 and... A very, very promising future ahead of him. England under 20 international, who I'd imagine will be in the under 21s uh, in the next squad. And then I don't think it'll be too long before we hear talk of him being looked at by the top clubs and potentially being in line for an England call-up, even though there are quite a few very talented England midfielders. I think post-Euros, especially if Southgate goes the new manager might just give other players a look. And I think he's one that would be well worth a look. He's a very, very nice controller of the of play. He, do you know, he actually, funnily enough, reminds me of Will Hughes when Will Hughes was at Derby having broken in before he tore his ACL and his career got altered for the worse. Uh, Adam Wharton reminds me of that player. But if you haven't seen him play, when you do, I think you'll just, the first thing you'll notice is he's got a very strange gait and his kicking motion is just a little bit different, but it's very, very effective. Um, We had AFCON games yesterday. I think by the end of this pod yesterday, Cape Verde were beating Mauritania 1-0 and that's how it ended. Uh, Ryan Mendez penalty. And then we got the upset of the tournament so far. Senegal won, Ivory Coast won. And Ivory Coast winning on penalties. Habib Diallo put Senegal one up on four minutes. A Frank Kessie penalty on 86 minutes tied it up. We went to penalties. Koulibaly scored. Nicola Pepe scored. Pape Matar Sar scored. Christian Kwame scored. Moussa Niakate missed. Sebastian Haller scored. Bamba Dieng, who was literally only brought on for penalties, scored. Serge Aurier scored, Sadio Mane scored, but Frank Kessie, very, very reliable from the spot, stepped up and puts Ivory Coast through. And I think the Senegalese will be devastated by this because they were the best team in the tournament for my money. On paper, on paper, the best team. Like you look at that team 
a back three of Koulibaly, Diallo and Niakate in front of Mendy. They're all high-level players. Crepin Diata, who's normally a winger but can play as a wing-back playing right side. Ishmael Jacobs playing left side. That's two very strong players in that position. And then Papi Matara, Saran, Lamine Kamara's, I, I think is one of the best young midfield pairings anywhere in the world, club or country. And then in attack, you've got Ishmael Asar, Habib Diallo and Sadio Mane. And I know Mane is declining as Koulibaly is, but they're still three high-level players. That's a really, really good team. And on the bench, you've got Idrissa Gay, you've got Nicholas Jackson, you've got Bamba Dieng, you've got Illaman and Jai. That's really, really strong. That's that's 15 strong of what I would call quality players. There's a couple of others there in Impali's Mendy, Czech Coyate, Foto Balotore, for most Mendy. Like they're good players as well, but they're a level below, I would say, this group. And then you look at the the Ivory Coast team. Now Fafana is a decent keeper, but he's not he's not top tier. Mendy is certainly better. Aurier is okay. He wouldn't be in my team. I'd have Wilfred Singo in there. Kasunu, I'm a big fan of. And Dick is decent, but I mean, I think they could do a tad better. I think they have a tad better available to them. Now, Diamande obviously injured, so that's why he's not playing, but, you know. And then Conan at left back, I mean, you left C at home. C has been great for Strasbourg. Uh, he'd be my left back. But it's it's not a bad it's not a bad back four. It's not as good as the Senegalese back four, but their potential strongest back four, I think, would be the best that Africa could offer. Singo, Kasunu, Diamande, and Sila, in my opinion, that is the best back four that any African country would have. And I include the Moroccan back four, which is very, very good, or well, back five as it often is, which is very, very good. But like Hakimi and Mazraoui are the only top top level players in that. Now they're both incredible, and they're better individually than any of the Senegalese, any of the Ivory Coast boys are now. But still, uh, in midfield you've got Ibrahim Singer and John Michel Seri. Again, both good players. Um, you've also then got Frank Kessie coming off the bench. It's a good midfield. It's not as good, I don't think, as the Senegalese midfield, but it's a good midfield. Diakate and Max Gradle out wide. I mean, you've got Nicola Pepe, you've got Simon Adingra. I would prefer them to what started. They both came on in the game, obviously. Um, you've got Seiko Fafana, whom I, I do like playing behind Grasso. I would wonder why Sebastian Hilaire is not the automatic starter, given he is the best striker they have. But again, not my decision to make. Then you've got Willie Bolly, Jeremy Boga. Like, again, this is a, it's, it's a strong Ivory Coast squad, but there's just very clear flaws in it. And they've been dreadful in this tournament. But to their credit, they fought for everything last night. They didn't give Senegal the opportunity to really settle into the game and control it the way they normally would. Ivory Coast actually had considerably more of the ball than Senegal last night, which I wasn't expecting. But I did think Senegal would have more than enough to see themselves through. But it wasn't to be. And Senegal are out. We have two games today. We get Mali versus Burkina Faso, which should be a very good game. That is a 5 p.m. UK kickoff. And then Morocco, South Africa is the big one tonight, 8 p.m. Morocco have some injuries. 
I think they're a considerably better team than South Africa. Now, South Africa are a good team, but they don't have the individual quality, in my view, of the Moroccans. But with Morocco having some injuries, that becomes a much closer game. And maybe South Africa pull off the upset. And if they do, then that's both Senegal and Morocco, who I thought were the two best teams in it, gone. Um, So we know how things are lining up for the quarterfinals. We'll find out, obviously, the last two teams today. But it is Nigeria versus Angola, Democratic Republic of Congo versus Guinea. It will be Mali versus the Ivory Coast. Or Mali or Burkina Faso versus the Ivory Coast. I don't want to write off Burkina Faso. They've got some really good players in that team versus the Ivory Coast. And then Cape Verde against Morocco or South Africa. Um, So that's where we stand from there. And then it is Nigeria or Angola versus Cape Verde or Morocco. Was I right originally that it would have been a Senegal-Morocco final? And then I spent ages yesterday rambling about nonsense. It would have been. I was right. So we would get Democratic Republic of Congo or Guinea versus Mali or Ivory Coast. You know, there's a path to the final for Guinea here. The Guinea team, they were shaky in the group stage, but I was impressed by them in the game against Equatorial Guinea. And if they can play like that, maybe they have a chance. They're strong in midfield, decent defensively. I'm not sure they've got enough in attack. We'll see. We'll see. I think Mali are probably the strongest of the four there. Now, again, Ivory Coast could make everybody look foolish, including me, which wouldn't be the first one I've looked foolish, to be fair. Um... But yeah, that's an interesting side of the bracket. And then Nigeria or Angola versus Cape Verde or Morocco slash South Africa. Nigeria do look good. They look good going forward. Defensively, I'm not fully sure that I can trust them. Like Ajehi and Truce Kong, we've seen them for years. They're not good. Bassi is good, though. The midfield, though, Aina. Onyeka, Iwobi, and Zanussi. That is strong. And then Moises Simon, Victor Osman, and Adamo Luckman in attack is really strong. You've got the likes of Chukwezi, Ianacho, Teramoffi, Ahmed Musa still kicking about. Like that's it's a strong bench as well, especially in attack. Just defensively, I don't know that I can trust Nigeria fully. They did look good versus Cameroon, and Osman is the best player at the tournament now with Salah gone. But we'll see. We'll see. Regardless, shaping up to be a really good quarterfinal, semifinal, and final, plus the third and fourth place playoff. So all positive coming out of AFCON. In the Asian Cup, 
we've had a game today and Uzbekistan beat Thailand by two goals to one. Uh, Turgan Boev, I'm going to go with, opened the scoring for Uzbekistan. Sarashat equalized, Sarakat, Sarakat equalized for, I think it's Sarashat, equalized for Thailand. Fezulev, Abosbek Fezulev is, is what I'm going with. Um, I'm nearly Trump esque trying to read that. Abosbek Fasulev uh, scoring the winner on 65 and Uzbekistan are through and they will take on Qatar in the quarterfinal. So that one should be a good game. Qatar obviously beat um, pa- uh, Palestine in the quarterfinal. We have one round of six, in the, sorry, in the round of 16. We've one round of 16 game left. It kicks off in about an hour. And that is Saudi Arabia versus South Korea. And the winner will face Australia. That's today. Then tomorrow, we get Iran versus Syria and Bayran versus Japan. And the winners there face each other. So potentially, we're looking at Tajikistan versus Jordan, with the winner of that one getting the winner of Australia and either Saudi Arabia or South Korea. You would expect then the winner of the Australia slash Saudi slash South Korea bracket to win that semi-final and reach the final. And then from the other side, it we could well get Iran versus Japan. The winner of that then you would guess would face Qatar, but I wouldn't write off Uzbekistan. But again, you're probably looking at the winner of the Iran-Japan game as the team that will get to the final. So, you know, either way, if that's the fight, if it's, if it's two from Australia, Saudi, South Korea, Iran, and Japan, that's a really good outcome. And that will give us a great final. The Qataris are good as well. You can stick them heavily in the mix, but I still think Iran and Japan would have too much for the Qataris. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I've been wrong so many times. I, I can't even count, but. You know me in predictions. Dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. I don't even know why I do them anymore. Because as I'm doing them, I'm like, I'm tr- I'm trying to be logical about them. And then there's just no logic to be had in football anymore. There hasn't been logic to be had in the outcome of football games since like COVID. And in international football, especially in competitions like the AFCON and the Asian Cup, where you don't know what, like, give me the European Championships and the chances are I'm going to know 85% of the players. With the AFCON, it's probably 25. With the Asian Cup, it's probably about 15%. So it's very hard then to find any logical path to predicting anything. But the Aussies look good. South Korea have been a little bit iffy. The Saudis look good. Iran look good. Syria are managed by Hector Cooper, so they will have my love, my love and affection. Um, the Japanese are just a very good team with a lot of good players. The Qataris are a good team. And Uzbekistan look a team. And to be fair, I haven't seen much of Tajikistan, but I did watch that game against UAE and, and they looked a decent team. I was expecting UAE to come through. I was expecting Iraq to beat Jordan personally. Um, I, there was no, again, no logic behind that because I don't know, don't know the players, but 
that was just my expectation, but I enjoyed that game. Yeah, it's been it's been great these last couple of weeks having these games to watch. See, when you don't sleep and you you just need something to to watch to help you fall asleep, or in the hopes that you'll eventually just get tired enough that you just pass out, which which is most nights. Um having games like this to watch is great. So, you know, you can, a game of football is 55 minutes to an hour. So I could watch two episodes of a TV show or I could watch two games. So depending on the mood, I'll do one or the other. Some nights I do both. Some nights I watch three games. Some nights I watch four. Um, depending on what there is, <laughs> depending on what's on, and depending how much pain I'm in. Um, right. <laughs> we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to go down through the divisions and have a look at the championship, League One, League Two, and the conference. So I'll see you after this. Right, welcome back. So we do have some championship games that have taken place in recent days. And it's been an odd sort of match week in the championship because of the FA Cup and different things. So it actually began last Wednesday when Leeds beat Norwich uh, by a goal to nil. Only goal of the game scored by Patrick Bamford. Then we had no games Thursday, Friday. On Saturday, Sunderland beat Stoke by three goals to one. Mason Burstow, Abdullah Ba, and Pierre Equa, one I've mentioned, putting them 3-0 up. A Jensen Selt own goal gave Stoke some hope, but not enough, ultimately. Uh, Millwall and Preston played at a 1-1 draw. Zion Fleming put Millwall one up. Brad Potts equalised for Preston. And then... QPR and Huddersfield also played at a 1-1 draw. Nothing happened in this game by the, by the looks of things until the 86th minute. Uh, Jack Rudini or Rudani with the, with, with the opening goal on 86. Uh, Kenneth Powell equalising for QPR on 95. We have two games in the championship tonight. Coventry play Bristol and Leicester play Swansea. And then on... Wednesday night, tomorrow night, Sheffield Wednesday against Watford. So if you're looking for games to watch and you don't fancy the AFCON games or the Asian Cup game, uh, there you go. You can watch Coventry Bristol or Leicester Swansea tonight and then Sheffield Wednesday Watford tomorrow night if you're not feeling the love for Premier League games. Actually, I should mention we do have Premier League games uh, taking place this midweek as well. We have five games today. Uh, Nottingham Forest against Arsenal, Luton against Brighton, Fulham against Everton, Crystal Palace, Sheffield United, and the big one is Aston Villa home to Newcastle in what should be a good game. We've got three games tomorrow night, and then we have two on Thursday as well. Um, but that championship game between Leicester and Swansea could be decent. I'm I'm assuming most people will plump for watching Premier League football, but you should watch the championship because it is good fun. Uh, The league table is as follows. Leicester are top, 28 games played, 66 points. Then it's Ipswich, 28 games played, 59 points. Then Southampton, 28 games, 58 points. Leeds have played 29. They have 57 points. Leicester have opened a lead 
Then it's three for the, the second promote automatic promotion spot. Then the other two will certainly be playoff teams because there's a 12-point gap from Leeds to West Brom who have 45 points. Now, they do have a game in hand with only 28 played. Coventry have played 28. They've got 43 points. That's the playoff spots as things stand. It will be Southampton, Coventry and Leeds, West Brom in the playoff semifinals. In outside the playoff spots, then we have Sunderland, also 43 points, but they've played that extra game. Uh, Hull have 42 points. They've played 28 games. Norwich, 41, 29 games. Watford, 40 from 28. Middlesbrough, 40 from 28. Then Preston, 39 from 29. Then a two-point gap to Bristol and Cardiff, both of whom have played 28. A four-point gap to Plymouth, Swansea, Millwall and Blackburn, all of 33 points. Millwall have played 29, the rest have played 28. Then it's Stoke and Birmingham, 32 points each. Stoke, 29 games. Birmingham, 28. Birmingham were doing so well until they appointed Rooney. Uh, Huddersfield, 21st in the league. 29 games, 28 points. Then a three-point gap to QPR. Then another three-point gap to Sheffield Wednesday. Now, Wednesday have played 28. The other two have played 29. Bottom of the table is Rotherham, 19 points from 28 games and not looking all that promising. Uh, Into League One, we shall venture. Again, you've got a bit of a broken round, but there was plenty of games on. Blackpool, Blackpool Charlton ended 1-1. Shrewsbury went to Northampton and beat them 2-0. Bristol Rovers beat Oxford 3-1 in Bristol. Stevenage went to Wigan and won 3-2. Reading and Leighton Orient played out a 1-1 draw at the Majeski. Lincoln City and Peterborough played out a 0-0 draw in Lincoln. Derby beat Cheltenham 2-1 at home. Cambridge United and Burton Albion played out a 0-0 draw in Cambridge. Port Vale played host to Portsmouth and lost 1-0. Barnsley played host to Exeter and lost 2-1. Bolton went to Carlisle and hammered them 4-1. And then Wickham and Fleetwood Town played out a 2-2 draw at Adams Park in Wickham, which I have to say, if you ever get the chance to go, if you live anywhere near Wickham, Adams Park's a really, really nice ground. It's a really, really nice ground. It's a stunning part of England as well. Wickham's a really nice place. Uh, we have one game in League One tonight. Oxford play host to Portsmouth. Uh, Portsmouth are top of the table. 29 games, 59 points. That's two points more than Bolton, but they've also played two games more than Bolton. Then it's a one-point gap to Peterborough, who've played 28 games. Then Derby, also 56 points like Peterborough, but they've played 29 then a four-point gap to Barnsley, who have a game in hand on Derby. Then a three-point gap to Stevenage, who have a game in hand on Barnsley and two games in hand on Derby. So 27 games played there. Oxford have the same points tally as Stevenage, 49, but they've played 28 games. Then we go Blackpool, 46 from 29. Northampton, 40 from 28. That does seem like it might be the cutoff unless Northampton can win that game in hand and then close that gap to three points. Um, 
again, remember, it's two automatic spots plus a playoff spot here. So if the playoff started tomorrow, it would be Portsmouth and Bolton up, Peterborough versus Stevenage, Derby versus Barnsley. Um, after Northampton, it's late. Orient 39 from 28. Bristol Rovers, 37 from 28. Lincoln, 35 from 29. Wigan, 34 from 29. Exeter, 33 from 29. Shrewsbury, 33 from 29. Cambridge, 32 from 27. Burton, 32 from 29. Charlton, 31 from 29. Wickham, 31 from 28. Port Vale, 30 from 26. So they've got a bunch of games to make up. Reading, 27 from 28. And obviously... Their big issue is that they've had points deducted and they're in the financial mire, but they should be on 31 points. Um, then it's Cheltenham on 23 from 27, Carlisle on 20 from 29, and Fleetwood Town, 19 points from 28 games, which obviously just isn't, isn't very good at all. Uh, currently managed by Charlie Adam, a uh, former Rangers, Liverpool, Blackpool, Stoke. Um, where else did he play? Reading. Finished at Dundee, didn't he? Um, he had some loans from Rangers as well. Uh, this is his first managerial job, and he's he's picked a hard one, to be fair. But five games in, uh, one draw and four defeats. So not going great for Charlie. Lost his first four, but did get a draw in his last one, and maybe he can pull them out of the mire. He's the third manager there this season. So they had Scott Brown to start the season. Um, He's now up at Air United. I'm not quite sure how he got another job so quickly. Uh, He was 64 games in charge of Fleetwood. 19 wins, 21 draws, 24 defeats. To be fair, it's not a dreadful record. 30% 30% win rate, give or take. Um, yeah, he's taken over at Air United. Uh, he was then sacked and replaced by Lee Johnson. And Lee Johnson has experience. He was at Oldham. He was at Barnsley. He was at Bristol City for three or four years. He was at Sunderland for a couple of years. He was at Hibernian. Um, but again, he's just one of them that has been sacked multiple times. He was sacked by Bristol, sacked by Sunderland, sacked by Hibernian. Now he's gotten the Fleetwood, or then he got the Fleetwood jo- job, but he got sacked by them after 22 games with six wins, six draws, and 10 defeats. So, like, unlike Scott Brown and Charlie Adam, he actually had experience. Before taking that job, he'd managed 500 games. But the issue is he's been sacked a lot. Now, the start of his career was quite good. He did well at Oldham and earned the Barnsley job, did well at Barnsley and earned the Bristol job. But it had just it hasn't gone well since the end of his um the last year or so at Bristol got really rough. He'd had a, he'd a rough start and then he kind of turned things around and he was doing quite well. And then it just all it went to shit in the last year. He got a new contract 
in 2019, at the end of the season, the end of the 18-19 season, and he was sacked in like the end of the next year. Um, now, to be fair, four years in the championship is a long time. If you can keep a championship job for four years, you're doing well. But ever since then, it's just been downhill. The Sunderland job was a mess. It wasn't his fault. The club was a mess when he got there. He was trying to deal with a lot of different nonsense. Um, and when it went bad, it just went bad quickly and, and he was gone. Um, he was there just over a year, year and a bit. Then Hibbs was a mess. And then Fleetwood was a mess. So Fleetwood are just a mess right now is what we're learning. Um, and I don't know, this this thing of appointing players with, with no real no real background, like not even like Charlie Adam was playing up until 2022. So like what coaching experience has he gotten in the year and a half since he stopped playing? Like I understand that he'd been working at Burnley, but he was working at Burnley looking after loans. It's not like he was out every day on the training pitch with the first team. So it, this just seems like a, like a silly appointment by them. And it's it's tough for him because, look, he wants to get in. He wants to be a manager. He wants to be a manager. So he's taken the opportunity and jumped at it. But it's just, you know, you can't criticize him because you take the job you get. You, you criticize the club for not maybe looking for better uh, into League Two, we will venture. Uh, Harrogate versus Newport was obviously postponed because Newport were playing in the FA Cup. And the same is true of Wrexham versus Crawley. We did have Walsall 1, Sutton United 1. Swindon Town 2, shout out to Paul Sterrett, Bradford City 0. Grimsby Town 1, Tranmere Rovers 2. Crew Alexandra 2, Salford City 3. Morecambe 0, Colchester 1. Forest Green nil, Accrington Stanley one. We're going to have a laugh at Forest Green in a second now. Doncaster one, Stockport five, MK Dons two, Gillingham one, Notts County one, Barrow one, and AFC Wimbledon two, Mansfield Town one. We've won game tonight. It is Sutton United versus Harrogate. The table is as follows: Stockport are top, fifty-seven points from twenty-eight games. Wrexham are second. 52 points from 27 games. Then it's three automatic promotion spots here, remember. Uh, Mansfield, 51 from 28. And then Barrow, 50 from 29. Crew 50 from 29. MK Dons, 48 from 28. Notts County, 44 from 28. So both newly promoted teams from last year's Conference League in the promotion mix. It's really good to see. AFC Wimbledon have 42 points from 28 games. Of all the clubs in that division, even more so than Wrexham, they're the club I want to get promoted because if you don't have a soft spot in your heart for Wimbledon, the old Wimbledon football club, and you don't feel a kindred nature with the Wimbledon fans who had their club ripped away from them, and brought to Milton Keynes and rebranded as MK Dons with the history of Wimbledon Football Club, 
and what they had accomplished, winning an FA Cup, being promoted up through the divisions, becoming a mainstay in the Premier League in the early years. If you don't have a nostalgic love for that, like, I don't know what what you're doing watching the game anymore. And seeing this club rise from from the pain of having their club taking, taken away and build slowly as a community-driven effort through the lower leagues, step by step, league by league, and finding their way back into the football league. And they've been up and down. I think they've been in League One a couple of times, and they've been obviously in League Two a bunch of times as well. I, I just love the story. And now that they're back playing a plough lane, a community-funded stadium, it's it's, I haven't been to it yet. It's on my bucket list of places I want to go because I never got to go to the old plough lane because Wimbledon never got back there. Um, when they were ground sharing with Selhurst Park, every year there'd be a new report that they were going to go back to plough lane or they were going to go somewhere else. One, one time, do you know what? We'll, we'll do it someday on a nostalgic pod. We'll do, we'll do Wimbledon someday on a nostalgic pod. We won't get into it now. Uh, Gillingham. 42 points from 28 games. Aki Stanley, 41 from 28. Harrogate, 40 from 27. Crawley, 39 from 27. Walsall, 37 from 27. Swindon, 37 from 29. Morecambe, 37 from 27. Newport, 37 from 28. Tranmere, 36 from 29. Bradford City, 20, uh, 36 from 29. Salford, 31 from 29. Grimsby, 28 from 28. Colchester, 28 from 29. Doncaster, 28 from 28. Sutton United, 21 from 28. And Forest Green, 19 from 28. Forest Green, of course, last season were in League One. And things had all gone swimmingly for a couple of years for them. Rob Edwards had gotten them promoted and then Rob Edwards decided he wanted to maybe look upwards in his career and he agreed to take the Watford job and then Forrest Green made a big show of sacking him um, just as the season was ending. And then last season, they were just a complete mess, just a complete shambles from start to finish. And the biggest part of that shambles came when they appointed none other than my hero and yours, Big Duncan Ferguson, on the 26th of January. Now, that all came after a period in which they'd sacked Rob Edwards, they'd had a caretaker manager, then they'd appointed Ian Birchnall, but then they brought in Big Dunk. And Big Dunk successfully won one game, from the 18 he took charge of and he was fired. And then in the summer, we had a bit of a circus with another caretaker manager. Then David Horseman was appointed. He did not do very well. Uh, This was his first job as well. Should be pointed out. He'd been the Southampton B manager. He won seven of 29 and he was sacked. And because the Duncan Ferguson thing had worked so well, they decided to try and repeat the trick of signing a former Premier League striker 
who didn't score many goals in the Premier League. Scored more than Duncan Ferguson, I believe, but, you know, still. They appointed Troy Deeney, and they sacked him after three games, after the team was terrible, uh, he was terrible, and he proved himself to be what Trev Downey would refer to as a dreadful gang of lads. And he was sacked, and then he said he'd only been he'd only been hired because of his pull and his name recognition. Uh, Steve Coverell has since taken the job. He's very experienced. Sligo, Cheltenham, Stoke, three years at Burnley, five years at Cheltenham, I should say. Uh, Notts County, Portsmouth, Nottingham Forest, three years at Bristol prior to Lee Johnson. Uh, a year at Birmingham, three years at Shrewsbury, and now he rocks up at uh, Forest Green uh, in the hopes of trying to rescue them. But it's very hard to see how he will do that because they're they're just dreadful and they're currently nine points from safety. Uh, he lost his first game in charge, unsurprisingly, uh, because they're dreadful, not because of him. Um, it appears like Dale Vance, who who I quite admire, like I really admire how he's gone about his business and how he's gone about Forest Green and what he's done with them. Now, I wouldn't be in favor of the vegan stuff, but that's, look, if that's what it is, that's what it is. But I really admire the way he's built that club up. I just think over the last couple of years, since gaining promotion to League One under Rob Edwards, I think he has made an absolute clusterfuck of the whole thing. And swearing is absolutely necessary here when you're doing as badly as they have over the last two years. When you go an entire League One season, playing 46 games and getting 27 points, and then from 28 games in League Two, you take only 19 points, giving you a total of 46 points uh, from 74 games. You 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 need to be sworn at. Sworn at. You you just need to be sworn at. I need to be allowed to swear at you when you're that inept. And Dale Vance, you've been inept. So get your shit together and sort it out. Uh, into the National League, we shall go. Da, 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 da. Matches at the weekend. Altrincham 4, Eastley 0. Oldham 0, Woking 1. Field 1, Bromley 0. Wheelstone 2, Halifax Town 0. Wheelstone is that little drunk fella, isn't it? You got their fans. Is that him, isn't it? So, if people wonder what sort of backward-ass town I'm from, the, that fella once made an appearance in in the nightclub in the town. Oh, Lord. Never change, Nathan. Never change. Uh, Dagenham and Redbridge. Nil, the mighty Dagenham and Redbridge. Uh, Kidminister 1. Gateshead 2. Barnet 1. Kidminister, shout out Jan Mulby. Uh, Maidenhead 2. Solihull Moors 1. Hartley Pool 2. York City 1, Chesterfield 3, Southend 0, Oxford City 1, Ebsfleet United, which again always just sounds like a car co- car rental company, at uh, 0, Aldershot 3, Rochdale 1, Borehamwood 0, Dorking Wanderers 3, Ebs- uh, Ebsfleet? Ebsfleet, Ebsfleet, I think it's Ebsfleet. Ebsfleet. 
Need to know more. I need to know more. Well, they've just sacked their manager, uh, Dennis Kutra. He's just been fired. So we've we've discovered that. So they're based in Northfleet in Kent. Uh, they were founded following a merger between Gravesend United and Northfleet United. They were known as Gravesend and Northfleet. And then in 2007, they changed their name to Ebbsfleet United. Um, between 2008 and 2013, the club was owned by the web-based venture, My Football Club, whose members voted on player transfers, budgets, and ticket sales, among other things. That sounds quite cool. Doesn't sound in any way um, sustainable long-term. Because just too many people get involved and it, it just gets a bit messy. And the funding can be hard. So I'm just looking here. Uh, December 2011, it was announced they would need to raise 50 grand by the end of the season or they would have gone out of business. Uh, they were taken over by a Q80 group of investors um, advised by a former chief Chief Executive of Charlton Athletic, but it doesn't say who that person is. Um, it, it appears they're still owned by this Q80 group. So, fair play. Uh, they were promoted into the National League at the end of last season. So, this is their first year there. And it seems a little bit harsh to sack the manager uh, as a newly promoted team. But anyway, uh, Chesterfield are top 74 points, running away with the league. 16 points clear of Bromley, and they have two games in hand. So fair to say Chesterfield will be playing in the Football League next year. Um, then it's Barnet, Altrincham. There's a nine-point gap from Barnet to Altrincham. So Bromley and Barnet are basically f- 58 points and 55 points, with Barnet having played a game less. They're competing for the second promotion spot. Um, then Altrincham, Solihull Moors, Oldham, Aldershot, Gateshead, Rochdale, Halifax Town, Eastleigh, Hartlepool, Wheelstone, Maidenhead, Southend, Boreham Dorking Wanderers, Dagenham and Redbridge, York City, Ebbsfleet, Field, Kidderminster and Oxford City. Uh, I'm going to need Kidderminster to get their act together. Uh, again, soft spot because of Jan Mulby. Don't know anything about the club. Never been to Kidderminster in my entire life. But, but... Jan Moby managed there once. I think twice, actually. Didn't Jan manage them twice? Jan Moby. He did manage them twice. He managed Swansea City. Then he managed Kidderminster for three years. Then he managed Hull City. And then he went back to Kidderminster. Um, won the football conference with Kidderminster. So that's a fair effort. That is a fair effort. Kept them in the old Division 3, now League 2, and then went to Hull. Didn't stay well. I didn't stay long at Hull. There was a lot of messing going on at Hull back then, so I I don't think he was sacked because of anything uh, he was doing. But his return to Kidderminster didn't go as well. Um, We don't want Jan to ever go back into management because he's too good at the punditry. And if you haven't heard the Moby on the Spot podcast from Anfield Index, 
Uh, it's the good brother, Trev Downey, and Jan Mulby. And it is absolutely brilliant. Every single week is brilliant. I must insist that you go and listen to Mulby on the spot. It is tremendous crack. And listen to everything that we do on Anfield Index, especially the stuff I'm on, so that they know that you like listening to me. So listen to that stuff. Um, and while I'm on a tangent of this stuff, Myself and Trev are doing the Buzz podcast, which is about films and TVs, TV shows. We're doing, week by week, we're doing a companion pod for True Detective Season 4. We've also got one that dropped today on The Rock, that 90s classic with Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery. So listen to that. We did Saltburn uh, last week. So go listen to all of them because they're they're genuinely, it's the most enjoyable thing I do. Without doubt. And while I'm on the topic of Downey, make sure you listen to the great stories. Uh, he reads a short story and then just talks about it. Iconic short stories, you know, by legendary authors. Um, it's brilliant. It is brilliant. And even for me, like one of the methods I found for actually helping me fall asleep is listening to audio books and short stories and stuff. So, and, and that's one I do listen to for that purpose. And then also when he releases a new one, I'll make sure I'm fresh and awake so I can listen to that as well. Uh, I've gotten completely sidetracked. I should probably go to break. I'll see you after this. Right. Welcome back. So Marcus Rashford will have to take responsibility for his actions. According to Manchester United, Rashford has been fined about 650 grand after being seen out on the booze. Um, and then calling in sick for a game. Not great. Not great. Uh, Kyle Walker is also in the news after it emerged that he had an extramarital affair and has gotten a woman who is not his long-term partner pregnant. Um, I believe his long-term partner is also pregnant. Uh, Walker has opened up and talked about it. Um, All I'll say is that if everything that you hear about Kyle Walker's private life ever became completely public. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he could talk his way out of it. I'm really not. Now he's never done anything illegal or anything nasty or anything like that, but he's done some nasty stuff, but it's just, it's just questionable. It's questionable what Kyle Walker gets up to um, in his own time. But look, it's his own time in a way with him. Uh, Crystal Palace, I said they need the right back. They have signed Daniel Munoz from Genk for $6.8 million, a three-year deal with an option for a further year. And hopefully he can be the answer to their right back problems. And problems is exactly what they are. Uh, he is a good player and he's definitely going to be an improvement on what they have. Um. Everton's appeal over their 10-point deduction for breaching financial fair play rules will begin on Wednesday. The hearing in front of an appeal board is expected to last three days, and the BBC understands an outcome should be revealed by mid-February. Let's not forget that they've also been hit with a second charge of breaching the rules. So even if they were to have this 10 points reduced on appeal or rescinded on appeal, there's a very strong possibility that they get hit again 
Now, the issue for Everton here is that because they've been charged a second time, it's going to be very hard for them to prove that it was just a mistake or that they, they've been wronged because we've clearly got a pattern here. So I'm not really sure Everton have much hope of having that 10 points reduced or rescinded. Uh, let's check in then with the the big journalists, as I call them. Um, we'll go to Mike. If I could find Mike McGrath now, it'd be it'd be great. Uh, McGrath, Mike. There we go. What have you got for us today, Sunshine? Um. West Ham are interested in signing former Celtic winger Jota, and that could potentially line up with Saeed Benrama leaving. Now, they want a player in, apparently, before they're willing to sign off on Benrama going. Uh, Leon have made a bid for Benrama. It did look like West Ham were set to sign um, the kid from Nordlesjand, whose name is escaping me. Da, 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 da. Where are we? Ibrahim Osman. It did look like that was going to be the move. Um, it appears now that that is not going to happen. Uh, both Brentford and Brighton are in for him. It looks like Brighton's move for Antonio or Brentford's move for Antonio Nusa might fall through. So they have pivoted to Osman and it makes sense for Brighton because they've got a Dingra, but it may well be that they they lose Matoma in the summer. So they might be in the market for a winger. Um, it looks like Cedric Soares is out of on his way out of Arsenal, potentially heading for Turkey. Uh, Pep Guardiola has said that Erling Haaland is in the squad for Manchester City's game tomorrow against Hull. Hellas Verona are moving closer to an agreement to sign Adam Day from Norwich on a six-month loan with an option to buy. That'd be a great move for him. Birmingham have signed Pak Song-hyo, Pak Song-hyo um, South Korean midfielder. Apparently other championship clubs were also in for him. Lewis Miley has signed a new contract at Newcastle. Okay, that's Mike McGraw. Let's check in with John Percy and see what you've got for us, Mr. P. Uh, Aston Villa forced for, uh, poised to complete the signing of Middlesbrough Ford Morgan Rogers on a deal worth up to 15 million. It will be 10 million. Plus a further five million in add-ons. Deal agreed this afternoon, and it meets the asking price that Borough were seeking. Um, Manchester City's sell-on clause was twenty-five percent of the profit, I would guess. So they will get some money there. Uh, Scott McKenna is leaving Nottingham Forest, and he is joining FC Copenhagen, which is a pretty good move for him. Pretty good move for him. Um, they obviously. are in the Champions League knockout phases. They drew Man City, having qualified out of a group at Manchester United and Galatasaray. That's a really good move for him. And a, and a great opportunity. Like, a, what, what an interesting move for him 
Scottish lad came through to Aberdeen, moved to Nottingham Forest. Now getting to Denmark, different culture, different way of life, different style of football. He'll be a standout player in that league as well. It's a good move for him. I'd like to see more English players making moves abroad. You know, not necessarily just to the obvious countries. AFC, oh, AVFC, Aston Villa, are maintaining a strong interest in John Rowe of Norwich City. He's very talented. Um, but it looks like he might have been the backup option if they couldn't get the Rogers deal done. Um, okay, that's from you. What about David Ornstein? Ornstein, I saw, broke the Adam Wharton deal. Is that all we've had for him? West Ham turned down an inquiry for Crystal Palace for Ben Johnson. Uh, he's at a contract in the summer, but West Ham do plan to give him a new deal. And Palace apparently came in looking for him, couldn't get him, so they've now moved on. Uh, Morgan Rogers deal, that's fine. Wolves have reached agreement with Paris Saint-Germain to sign Noel Lamina on loan. Deal for the 18-year-old French international, French youth international, includes a buy option. It's a really good deal. He's super promising. And if they can get him, if that buy option, is, according to Ornstein, is 2 million euro, that's a bargain. So they'll have him and Tommy Doyle for about 6.5 million combined in the summer. That's brilliant business. Genuinely brilliant business. Uh, Facundo Palestri is expected to travel to Spain today before complete, completing a loan from Manchester United to Granada. Uh, so that is an interesting move for him as well. He needs games. So that's good. Um, yada, yada. Looks like Barcelona are pushing to sign Lucas Bergval from Dugarden. Very, very highly regarded player. Had been linked to a couple of clubs in the MLS, interestingly. But it looks like Barcelona was his preference, and that is where he will go. Granada have asked Bayern to make formal bid to anticipate Brian Saragossa deal in January Interesting. Interesting. I'm surprised Girona are open to selling anybody at the moment, given how well they're doing. Um, yeah, they, he, he signed for Bayern in December to join in the summer. But it now looks like it now looks like Bayern want to bring him over now. So Girona are saying, "Pay us more money." Uh, Moisa Keane's move to Atletico Madrid collapsed last night. Uh, it looks like there may have been a failed medical there. Uh, Luton Town are in the process of signing Daichi Hashioka from St. Truden. And it looks like that one should get done. Um, Vitinha. Is that the Paris Saint-Germain, Vitinha? On his way to Genoa? Loan with an option to buy? Is that the right player? That can't be right.
Does hammer is a, is it a different for teammates? Oh, it's Vitinha from Marseille. It's not the Vitinha at PSG. It's the Vitinha from Marseille. Okay, that's different. Uh, and that I'm a bit more on board with, I have to say. Um, really do like him. Plays as a forward player. Was at Braga, did really well. Moved to Marseille. It, it just hasn't gone all that well since he joined in January. Um, Marseille paid big money for him, but it hasn't gone great for him. That's a good move for him to go to Genoa, so I'm happy with that one. Uh, AS Roma have signed Angelino on a loan deal with an option to buy for $5 million from RB Leipzig. Uh, Morgan Rogers. Watford have approached Man City to sign Mika Hamilton on loan with a very talented young City Academy graduate. Paris Saint-Germain are actively working to loan out Hugo Ekatiki in the final 48 hours of the transfer window. Brentford, I think, should be all over that. More on the Morgan Bergvall deal. Yeah, 7 million euro plus 3 million in add-ons. Uh, Miguel Almiron is staying with Newcastle. It looks like Ivan Rakitic, though, is heading for Al-Shabaab. Maurizio um, Pochettino has decided to reject... Wolves' loan proposal for Armando Broglie. Apparently, Chelsea just can't sign anybody, so they're kind of snookered at the moment. So they have to keep Broglie. Um, Ange Postacoglu has said it's unlikely that there'll be any more movement from Spurs. He said he doesn't see any more incomings, but maybe there might be an outgoing or two. But he says it's unlikely on both fronts. Um Stefan or Christoph Freund, the Bayern director of football, has said we are in talks to anticipate Brian Saragossa deal in the final days of January. He will definitely be our player in the summer. We'll see. We're trying to see if possible to bring him to Bayern sooner. Um, again, Girona probably will want to keep him. Romain Favre, who Bournemouth signed in the summer and then loaned to Laurent. They're now bringing back to Bournemouth, and it looks like David Brooks is going to Southampton on loan. Uh, he wanted that move. He, he'd he been looking for more playing time. I think after his recovery, he's just anxious to play as much as he can. Can't blame him. So it makes sense to bring Favre back in and replace him in the squad. And I'm sure he won't be too sad to leave Laurent, who are a dumpster fire. We'll talk a bit about them and the rest of the French League tomorrow. Um... That's that. So let's just do the gossip then and get wrapped up. Tottenham are considering making a late bid for Conor Gallagher. Seems very unlikely. La Liga president Javier Tepas Tebas believes there is more than a 50% chance that Kylian Mbappe will join Real Madrid in the summer. Brentford's deal for Antonio Nusa is stalling. Miguel Almiron is set to stay with Newcastle after Al-Shabaab failed to meet the Magpies, 30 million valuation, 30 million. He's got a year left in his deal. He's 29. And let's be honest, he's had one good season since he joined them and he hasn't been good this year. Granada have to revive their interest in Conte Palestri. Looks like that one is done. Aston Villa are considering selling academy graduate Jacob Ramsey to raise funds in order to comply with profit and sustainability. Newcastle, Tottenham and Bayern Munich all interest. I think that'd be just a horrible, horrible decision for Villa. I, I just... They sold his brother. 
They sold Cameron Archer. They sold Chuck Wemeke. That's four immense young prospects have come through that academy in the last four years. Three of them are out the door. This is bad from Villa. Really, really bad from Villa. Stop buying crap like Den Donker and other such dross. Now, they haven't under Emery, obviously, but stop buying players and give your academy players a chance. Like, there's just, you cannot sell Jacob Ramsey. He's too good. Now, I understand they'll probably have to make one big sale at some point. I do. But for me, Ramsey and Bubakar Kamara would be untouchable. If you want a big sale, sell Douglas Luiz. I understand that Ramsey counts as entirely profit, but if you're 50 million for him or 70 for Douglas Luiz, it's still 50 million profit. And I would much rather have Jacob Ramsey moving forward than Douglas Luiz, as good a player as Douglas Luiz is. Uh, Tottenham midfielder Pierre-Emile Heusberg's lawyers say he has no intention of leaving Spurs in January. Okay. Uh, West Ham uh, linked with Jota. Everton and Luton interested in former Middlesbrough legend Chuba Akpom on loan from Ajax. Hasn't gone great for him since going to Ajax. Timothy Weah has rejected a loan move to Everton, apparently. Everton are under no pressure to sell players despite the uncertainty over their finances. I'd imagine in the summer, in the summer, Brantwaite and Onana are out the door. Leon want to sell, want to sign RL Mangala from Nottingham Forest. I just don't see Forest selling him. Bundesliga leaders Bayer Leverkusen are looking at a move for Marco Asensio. Odd. Okay. Could be interesting in the Bundesliga. Um, Al Itahad are in talks with an unnamed Saudi club over a deal to sell Karim Benzema. An unnamed Saudi club in the capital, Riyadh. So it has to be one of the big clubs because no one else can afford um, his wages. No one else could touch them. So you're looking at one of the big clubs. So he's not going to Al Etafak, who and they're obviously not in the capital anyway. So Al Hilal are in the capital. And Al Nazir are in the capital. Al Ali are in Jeddah, so it's not them. They're they're out beside Al Halil. Or Al Al Itahad, where he is at the moment. So Al Halal. Now they're the club that signed Mitrovic in the summer. So I don't see them as needing a number nine. They've got some really good players there. They've got Koulibaly. They've got Ruben Neves. They've got Mitrovic. Milinkovic Savic. They've got Malcolm. They have Neymar. Whenever he comes back from his torn ACL, they have Yassine Bono. And Al Nazar are Cristiano's club. So they've got Cristiano. They've got Seiko Fafana, Sadio Mane. Uh, Marcelo Brozovic, Anderson Telesco, Alex Tellez, Otavio, Americ Laporte. I mean, could you could you go in that league? You absolutely could. You could go two up front with Cristiano and Benzema. So it would make sense, in my opinion, that he would go to Al Nazir 
rather than Al Halal, who paid big money to get Mitrovic. And if I'm not mistaken, Mitrovic has been great. Yeah, 17 goals this season, second most in the league behind uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, who obviously has scored 114 penalties. Al Nazir would make more sense to me. Again, I could be wrong, but I, I just that that's what makes more sense to me. The other clubs in Riyadh, Al Riyadh, Al Shabab. I mean, they're not part of the big four. They're not getting the same level of funding. And I just don't know that he'd agree to go and play in stadiums that have 15,000 capacities. I know they're only getting, you know, 12 and 14,000 at these games, but still. If I had to guess, Al Nazir is where he might end up. Um, Burnley and Hull have made official approaches to Millwall for 18-year-old midfielder Romain Essie. Everything I've heard of that kid is very, very promising. He's a midfielder slash winger. Um, very, very promising by all accounts. I've never seen him play Millwall. Unfortunately, I just haven't gotten around to watching this year. But um, yeah, that I mean, I don't see why Burnley would need him. They've got enough wingers. Uh, Leeds have made a loan offer for Ben Godfrey. We knew that one. David Brooks, we knew that one. Sunderland have agreed a two million fee with Leeds for twenty-year-old Norwegian left back Leo Held. He can also play centre back. Uh, good player came through the academy at Celtic. Very, very good player. Just hasn't gotten chances at Leeds, unfortunately. Uh, Brentford's English winger Michael Olakigbe is in advance talks to draw- join Peterborough on loan before Thursday's deadline. And that is it, folks. That's the gossip. That's all I have. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.